0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, rugby fans, and welcome to episode 38 of the DNVR Raptors podcast. My name is Colin Strickler. I'm excited about the episode we have for you guys today. A really good conversation with Christian Sarmento, who's a former Raptor, a former UNC Bear. Talk a lot of, about a lot of different things. I'll get into that in a little bit, though. Um, I'm excited about the show. It should be a good one. So I guess we'll just jump right into it. We'll start with the breakdown. Breakdowns, just kind of the roundup of, of rugby news that happened around, the, I guess, the world this week. So we'll jump into the first thing on my list is the MLR draft thoughts. Um, I don't know if you guys watched. I know we talked a little bit on the show last week. We had Doug Coyle on, kind of broke down the picks and what to expect and, and all that stuff. He really took a deep dive into all of that, and it was a lot of good information. And a lot of the stuff that he talked about on the show actually – Became true, became a reality when actually watching the draft. Um, so the first thing I kind of took in my notes when I was watching the draft, I thought the production was pretty good. Uh, a friend of the show, Dan Power, was on the call with Danny Wexelman. Um, I thought they did a good job really giving us a good overview of the players that were drafted and how they're going to fit into the teams and stuff. I know I did see quite a bit of people on Twitter talking about how they didn't, they weren't a fan of the dead air and um, they thought that it could have been better I mean they thought it could have been better done I guess in that sense and the sense of time and um just kind of the flow of the broadcast cuz they only did interviews with the first three picks um but I mean it was their first it was their first try so not not too bad of a crack at the first one ever um yeah I guess one one of the things that was important about the draft is the first thing it just kind of started off with an interview um with commissioner of the MLR George Kilbrew and one of the big, thing, big things that he talked about was that he's been in talks with four other cities that want to get involved with MLR in 2022 now. Um, he, he mentioned something along the lines, this isn't a direct quote, but it's a paraphrase that um, MLR is growing and thriving despite all that's going on in the world. So while these other sports leagues and teams are, are kind of figuring out what to do, MLR is moving forward with business as usual. Um, so that's, that was an interesting thing that he, that he mentioned in his kind of opening monologue. Um, but yeah, I know on Saturday too, kind of leading up to the draft, there was some reports coming out, some in America's rugby news that top prospects were having to withdraw from the draft because they weren't eligible. And that was kind of coming out on Saturday. This is something based on what Doug said that teams kind of knew earlier in the week uh, but but there's, that's one thing that was awesome I thought about Doug is he said all of that on our show, so there wasn't any surprise if you saw that and you listen to the show. Should have seen that one coming. He mentioned that that was, was going to happen. Leaked out on Saturday, so Doug was ahead of the game. Um, yeah, so he warned us all about that. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, so th- that's kind of what I thought about the draft. We'll see how it all plays out. I guess this is something that only time will tell, like any draft. But, I mean, another thing Doug mentioned is that a lot of these guys will have to earn their playing time in the academy sides and these um, club teams that feed into these MLR teams that are not just gonna be able to jump right in. So, we'll see how it goes though. Um, something that happened, exciting thing, exciting future uh, future for the sport, so we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, second thing had on my uh, list of news for the breakdown it was a Super Rugby returned. I thought it was awesome, two really good games. Fun. It was just fun to see a live sports with a crowd again. Um, back at it again this weekend with the Blues and the Chiefs playing on Saturday morning at 1:05 a.m. Mountain Time, and the Hurricanes and the Crusaders play at 9:35 p.m. on Saturday. Uh, I'm out of town this weekend camping with my dad, so I'll miss I'll miss these matches, but I'll be for be sure to watch it when I get back on ESPN Plus. Um, and the last kind of big new, bit of news that came in. Just yesterday, I'm recording this on a Thursday, so it dropped on Wednesday. It that Chris Robshaw signs to San Diego Legion for the 2021 and 2022 seasons. Uh, he's only 33 years old, former England captain, nine-year international career with England, 66 caps. Played for the Harlequins for 16 years, so it's a big signing for the Legion that seems to be something that they've been uh, they've been doing well these last couple years. They've managed to lock down the big signings, and it's kind of how can you blame them? who wouldn't want to live in San Diego. Uh, That's a good signing. It's exciting fan, uh, exciting news for MLR fans, and um, it's already created a, bit, a big bit of buzz for the league and, and the team, and um, so it's always good to see that. I saw it in ESPN yesterday, so it's always cool, and that was reported by the Guardian, um, they had that first, not sure if I mentioned that at the top, but they were the ones that I, first people I saw that broke the news. So uh, last thing I wanted to talk about a little bit before we get into this interview with Christian Sarmento, uh, this Saturday would have been the MLR finals. So saw that in my planner. Uh, also, the planner is the worst thing that you could have purchased in 2020, um, so it's kind of depressing, but just thought I'd throw that out there. So now we'll kick it to my interview with Christian Sarmento. A little bit about Christian's freak athlete. To give you kind of an idea, he holds all the junior and senior Division I records for tackles at the University of Northern Colorado um, on the football team. That's, uh, I mean, to do that at any program is is no small feat. Um, And he was a Raptor. He played here kind of before the era of like professional rugby, before the professional rugby organization. Um, he talks a little bit about that on, on in the interview. He talks about how, you know, uh, he's got a lot of concussions and that really kind of held him back from pur- pursuing a professional rugby career. Um, but great guy, super, super nice, a super, lot of great stories. Uh, as you'll come to find out, he knows everybody um, really in, in the rugby community, it seems like, um, but I really enjoyed talking to him. It was fun. I hadn't seen him in a while. He was a guy that I knew from uh, back when I played. He was older than me, but when we would train with the men's team, he was uh, always there, and he, he's just a great guy, super nice guy. I'm glad he came in. I'm glad uh, he was only in town for a little bit. I'm glad our schedule's lined up, I was able to talk to him. So with that, we'll go ahead and kick it to my conversation with Christian Sarmento. All right, now welcome on to the show, Christian Sarmento, former Raptor. Uh, among a lot of other things. Christian, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Kayonda, friends, uh, happy to be here. Happy to talk about one of the passions of my life rugby in Rugby Town USA.
0: Yeah, I'm super pumped to have you on. Um, just something like I mentioned to you on the phone, I was talking to Casey Rock last week and he was suggested that I get into some of the old school Raptors and you were the first person that popped in my mind so I'm happy I could hunt you down.
1: Yeah big shout out to Casey Rock he also plays for a uh, team DPS yeah so he's an educator like myself and he's just I would consider him a good friend.
0: Yeah cool so I guess the easiest question we'll start out with you just tell me a little bit about where you're from.
1: Okay yeah so I'm from Denver, 5280. I got it on my back. I represent (laughs) the city. I was born at the old St. Joe's Hospital, which for people that don't know, that was right by Sloan's Lake. And then I grew up in North Denver, and then when my parents split, I kind of went all over West Metro Denver. So that's like Wheat Ridge, Lakewood, Golden, Unincorporated Jeffco.
0: Nice, man. So before we get into like really the the beef of this, I got to ask you about nicknames because you got a lot. How many nicknames do you have?
1: I don't know. It's... (laughs) Too many to name, so the original where it started was SCAR. And SCAR started with like a limited group during a mandatory workouts for football in uh, college. I'd be at the workout center early. and They'd say, you're patrolling this like you're like SCAR at his cave or his den or whatever. <laughs> but then my first play of college football was a kickoff, and I ran down the field and just crushed this kid. <laughs> he never played again, and I freaking got this huge scar on my head that would continually reopen throughout my whole redshirt freshman year. And that's when it caught on, and it kind of evolved to – Scarly, Scarmani, Scarlos Apache, Scarly Wildflower, to name a few. I mean, I'm also my teaching name is Mr. S, and so they call me Mr. Best, Mr. Blessed. I tell them not to, but they say Mr. Mess.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's how. I mean, that's what I. That's one of the first things I remember about you. Said Scarly Do Right, right?
1: Yeah, Scarly Do Right, Scarly Hustle Chips.
0: (laughs) It just goes on and on. I like it. Scarly Mountain Goat. Yeah. Uh, it's a cool man. What well, I know you just mentioned playing college football. I wanted to ask you a little bit about that, but what other sports did you play before you like got into rugby?
1: Yeah. So sports has been central in my life and it's really been like a guardian angel for me. And now I'm actually a PE teacher and I do coach. And so I get, it's a chance to like complete the cycle of positivity. But I started playing sports when I was probably in fifth grade and I was playing soccer and I was just like, I was just. I, when I find something I like, I just go hard at it. So soccer was my first love. And then from there I started playing football, basketball. I did some wrestling. I did a little track, um, martial arts. I'd been doing martial arts before then. Yeah. But, um, how the rugby origin started is I went out for lacrosse my sophomore year and I'd always wanted to play lacrosse. And, uh, I looked up to my one of my dad's girlfriend's sons who played it in high school, so I was like, this, that's a cool sport?" <laughs> and have, being Native American, it's like part of our, you know, our roots. Yeah. It's a Native sport. So I played lacrosse, and I mean, I was, I got into it because all the guys knew me as like, you know, a hog football player, big guy, whatever, <laughs> you know, aggressive. So they all gifted me all their stuff at Wheat Ridge. Shout out farmers. Yeah, I go
0: farmers. A, that's where I went to.
1: Farmer pride. <laughs> don't don't ask me how you get a jolly a jolly rancher. <laughs> all right, so these guys they gave me all their hand-me-down stuff and it was just awesome, but um I played crease defense and I I kid you not. Like I've played I've been, you know, a hitter in sports. Yeah. I used to crush kids in lacrosse and I would actually get penalized sometimes cuz like they'd be so big. And so then the next year Josh Smith, shout out Josh Smith, shout out Jordan Smith, shout out Pastor
0: Rick. Yes, I think I they're next. Pastor. I think they're next for the show.
1: Um, Josh was like a great organizer of kids. So he just like, he actually had a church fan and he picked up all of us little like hoodlum rugby, like <laughs> tough boys that just wanted to like get after it. And that's yeah. how I started playing rugby.
0: What year was that then? That would
1: have been my junior year for. Uh, Littleton Harlequins, so that was a offshoot of the Denver Harlequins, and then the next year we went to Bear Creek Warriors, which was a offshoot of it was like a Bear Creek, Wheat Ridge, Green Mountain team. So mm-hmm. shout out to uh Justin Paunga, oh yeah, Soleuso, and all those guys they played on the team. Wow, man, this is bringing back. I didn't even
0: know this. Like I didn't know that you played with all those guys. That's yeah, crazy. another
1: guy that was really big that I played with. I mean, I got so much connections to guys that just went farther than me chris camozzi for Uh bear creek who was actually in the ultimate fighter the show and went far and got a contract jeez and i'll get more into that because i know right now number one heavyweight or whatever contender ufc justin Gaithy. yeah unc boy
0: yeah yeah that's what i lead into the next thing so you played football at unc uh how how'd you get recruited to do that what was that like and how'd you make the decision to go up there
1: so at the time i had gotten suspended off football for a my whole junior year, which was like detrimental, but it turned out to be such a blessing because I ended up going to Lakewood and the coach at Lakewood shout out Mark Robinson, his son's playing at CU now. He did so much more work for us recruiting. And he just, you know, he gave me a lot of grace with how he dealt with me when I was a young, young buck. (laughs) And so, um, after my junior year, my junior year, I just tore it up. I think nine games, I had 125 tackles, Jeez. 15 sacks. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> playing I was what see, linebacker or stand-up DN. Okay, yeah. And that's what I played my senior year too. And then so my senior year came and you know, teams were looking at me, and I was mainly looked at as like a, a D two prospect. Yeah. So my visits were gonna be to Mesa State, and they were gonna be to Fort Lewis and uh, UNC. I went to Mesa State, and uh, shout-out Bobby Coy. He was a player of the year. He was also hitting that show, My Big Obnoxious Fiance. He was in that reality <laughs> show. It's crazy. Jeez,
0: man, you know everybody.
1: Yeah, so we were roommates there. And then the next week I went to UNC, and I was just like, yeah, I like UNC better. It's closer to Denver. Yeah. The money was right, and so just signed the papers. I, I mean, mean, it was funny. I, I still remember what O.K. Dalton said, and it's an old coach, old coach. He used to coach O.J. Simpson at the Bills. He said— Looks at my ACT scores, looks at my grades, tells me you're lazy, boy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so then you get to UNC. I know you're t- you're just talking about tackles. So how many defensive records do you still have? Because I remember, so I remember I went to CSU. We were working a CSU UNC game. UNC came up to play. It was the last year at Hughes, and I was pulling like their media guide, UNC's media guide, and I was looking through like all they have all the records listed, and it's Christian Sarmiento. Most tackles in the game, Christian yeah. Sarmento, most tackles. It's you and, and you and somebody else.
1: So what What needs to be said about that, all given respect to the old heads, is UNC has a huge tradition of being a D2 powerhouse. Yeah. And they effectively erased all those records, and now all the records are just from their time in D1AA. Oh, interesting. So I wasn't sitting super high on – I think I was seventh all-time in tackles and I don't know, like tenth all-time in single-game sacks, but – since they went to all D1AA, right. first in career tackles, first in career sacks, season sacks. Right. You know, like Clarence Bump beat my single game tackle record. I'm still yeah, salty about that. That, that was, a, I think I have it, it up.
0: You. Let me see if I have it up here. There's also a nice article in the uh, Greeley Tribune about you entering a home run derby with the
1: softball team. Yeah, and I didn't want to take off my pads. <laughs> yes, and they strike me out. So like, <laughs> get my pads like perfect. Yeah. You know? <laughs> And we were just doing it for, like, team-building UNC Bear Friday.
0: Yeah, man, that's that's crazy stuff. What What's, like, your most memorable moment from playing up at UNC? You have um, one, a couple that come to your head maybe?
1: You know, it, it's sad to say, but, like, all the plays i made, and I say that humbly, the things that I always remember are the plays I didn't forget. And I can remember, like, one play, my last game in Portland State, I took a perfect drop, and, like, the pass was just to me, and I just I – just, misread it and judged it and like so it would have been an easy pick six yeah and I just freaking (laughs) Matumbo swat the ball to the ground (laughs) yeah (laughs) so those ones stick in my mind but um. oh that's funny man yeah
0: uh so cool I know you talked a bit about how you got into rugby a little bit but how did you start playing for the Raptors so like what did what did life look like after you finished up at Greeley
1: yeah so The thing that I really want to say is, like, rugby never left in college. And we were playing on the down low. Another shout-out to Josh Smith, Jordan Smith. So they'd come for Wyoming games against UNC. And I'd go sneaking on the B-side while I was (laughs) playing football. And then, actually, NCAA recruiting violation, um, while I was a, a scholarship athlete there, I played on the, whatever, Eastern Rockies All-Star team. Oh, yeah,
0: Irfu, whatever. That and they paid should.
1: for they paid for our hotels and everything, so that's a, the violation. But I played on that team when I was only 20 or 19, 18 or whatever the age group was. Right. And we won the whole thing. Big shout-out Logan Collins, ex-raptor. He don't want to say – I don't want to <laughs> say Barbo's on the air. And James yeah. Patterson was unbelievable. Yeah. James Patterson in that tournament – it was like five games. I was the second leading scorer. I was playing winger, you know. Yeah. I guy didn't know much, just an athlete. Right. I had probably three or four tries. He had literally like 10 to 12 tries in like five games. Who,
0: who are you playing in those irf tournaments? Is that like Utah or...
1: Yeah, you're playing all the old regional, you know, all-star teams. Yeah. Though. Yeah. Okay. Cool, man. So then... So,
0: Josh Schmitz had, like, a big part in, like, kind of getting the Raptors off the ground. Is that right? That's what kind of what Casey told me.
1: Um, I'm not sure about that because I was in another place living a different life. Like, football was okay. my whole aim. And yeah, because so, I think
0: that was, like, 07. So, when did you graduate? 09? 09,
1: spring of 09. And I went to one practice spring of 09 when I was... Pretty much it was guaranteed I wasn't going to make uh, the NFL. Right. And uh, I'd already been playing for UNC Rugby that year. We took yeah. eighth in that. Shout out Mark Smith. Mike Smith. <laughs> and all the boys. Oh, you know, and um, I came to the practice, and I think that year, 09, they were tearing it up. Right. So I thought I'd walk up in there and just be like, you know, get some right. rub. But it was like they were, like, <laughs> preparing for the playoffs, and it was just a real tight outfit then. Yeah.
0: Cool. So then – So then you came to the Raptors, or did you go spend some time with somebody else first?
1: I came to the Raptors. I played, like I said, that season for UNC. Um, And then that summer, I was like, you know, I moved back to, dinner. I'm like, it's time to, you know, get serious, start working. But I'd go jump in on the Wednesday night sevens, love Wednesday night sevens. Shout out to Denver Rugby or whoever (laughs) puts that on. I don't know.
0: I don't know either. But, But yeah, that that was always a good time.
1: Yeah, I'd go there, and then I got in with all the – Glendale Sevens guys, but I wasn't on the team, and like it was crazy. We'd like come to Sevens practice, and sometimes scrimmage the USA Sevens and stuff. Right, and then so I started coming out that fall of two oh nine, and I just I I really had to immerse myself in it because the level of rugby was so good, and we were still just you know athletes. Right. Yeah.
0: So another thing I wanted to ask you about is just kind of what that rugby scene was like, because. When I was talking to Casey, he put it in an interesting way. Like he considers himself like a transition between like the old scene and like this new one into these like where it's getting more professional. So, what was like that the rugby scene like back in oh9 when you? Um, I mean,
1: what I really like to speak on is just like the youth rugby scene. And for the primary ages, I'm talking below, you know, middle school. It wasn't even there. Right. And then the high school league. I mean. When you see it now, it's something totally different, and they have so many pathways to get better. And just, like, it was totally grassroots then, you know, in Colorado. It was the emergence of it in that time.
0: That's crazy. Um, So I know you kind of – what was it like playing for the Raptors back then? Like, I know you were talking about, like, doing community service to earn, like, travel
1: credits or stuff like that. that's one thing I just really wanted to just – Shout the praises for is how much they did for rugby in Colorado and just did for people, right? By giving them something positive. So, you used to get free travel credit if you're on the premier, you know, whatever the top side was, or even if you're on the second team, I think, by going and doing rugby in school, community mm-hmm. service events. And, like, I'm thinking about like, we would go to school some days and with Jenna Anderson, and we'd be there the whole day, like, we'd pack lunch and just teach a whole PE day, yeah. before, you know what I mean.
0: And that's like, I mean, that's right down your alley, right? That, that's yeah, what you're doing now.
1: Yeah, it is. And then I, I worked the summer YMCA camps and stuff with yeah. them. I mean, they just did so much. It was awesome. Yeah,
0: man. And I know, like, I know that's one thing right now that kind of is going unnoticed, just considering all the news with the Raptors leaving. But I think I'm glad you brought it up because I, I think it should be acknowledged, like, how much Glendale as a whole has done for rugby you know, they so. were the
1: pioneers like they led the way, you know, and right. I'm telling you Glendale not only did that, but you know what they used to pay me to coach the kids and that was some right. of the best time and I was not coaching premier teams and you Utah. I've head coached in college. I've been a coach, head coach of a team in New Zealand, but I was coaching little kids and it was like you're getting specialized coaching and uh, you're yeah. paying the coaches and it's like it was right before our practice. So it was just it was a sweet situation. Yeah,
0: and, and like you've mentioned already like that just doesn't exist and it's becoming more normal now, but this was a decade ago. So yeah. it just shows to go how far they were ahead of the game in in that sense.
1: And it wasn't just Glendale. They were subsidizing me to go coach for Littleton at the time. Oh, really? Yeah, and that wasn't under the Glendale flag, so that just tells you what they were doing, so – I was coaching for uh, Gary's son. Gary's son was a beast. I don't remember, but we called ourselves the Pit Bulls. (laughs) Then uh, next year, I moved on to coaching Littleton. We had all them long-haired boys. We called ourselves the Bieber Boys.
0: (laughs) The Bieber Boys. I like
1: that.
0: (laughs) That's what I'm saying. You always come correct with these nicknames, Carly. I love it. Um, Cool, man. So. I mean, have you – I know you've been kind of off doing your own thing, that's something we'll talk about in a little bit here, but have you seen, like, the transition into, like, pro rugby, whether it be the pro rugby organization or now, even MLR? And just, like, I guess from your perspective, is this something that you, like, ever imagined to see? I mean, even this soon.
1: I don't know if I expected to see it soon. I was definitely a part of it. I was the one who got left behind, you know, <laughs> effectively but that was a lot due to all my uh, concussions but yeah you know I knew that Glendale was going to be a big vehicle in it I didn't know and I still don't know what America's appetite is for it and I right. think that's the recipe is when you introduce it to kids and you show them what a beautiful game it is then you're going to get people you yeah
0: know? and I guess I'm going to backtrack here a little bit it's just like when you did start playing what what was it that hooked you like how did you catch the bug and I know you mentioned that you're a hitter was it just that? Like, was No, it, the-
1: it wasn't that, and it was totally different because it was actually my first year I played wing, and then I moved to flanker, and then I moved back into the backs. It was such a learning experience, and it was hella pressure. It was, yeah. you know, like especially being a wing and playing teams like the old school Aspen team, you know, mm-hmm. at, at Fest, and they knew who I was, like, and they're right. going to try to manipulate me under the high ball. I'm playing linebacker, boy, I ain't that. <laughs> that's like high pressure, so yeah, it was a big learning curve. But um, for me, I my whole identity was that of a competitor. Like in college, it was my everything, and then when it didn't work out, going to the pros or going to the CFL, like. And I got back working, and then I started teaching right off the bat. It was just like rugby filled that void, and I, I just loved it, you know? Right.
0: Yeah, I, I like asking people that because it's always different for everybody. So thank you for, uh, for letting us know about that. So I know you just mentioned concussions, um, so we can get into that a little bit. How many do you think that you had? Yikes, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to take a guess, how many you think you had?
1: I mean, conservative estimate? Yeah. I'm saying definitely over 20.
0: Yeah, I, I was thinking when I was driving over here today is like, like how serious were, were, did they take concussions when you were in college? Because I feel like that was right before it, it, it became like well-known yeah. that it yeah. was a big deal.
1: Yeah, it was. It was right on the cutting edge, and it was also on the cutting edge right when PEDs were starting to blow up, mm. you know, like all that kind of stuff. But um, it's funny because I used to get concussions when I was in college starting my – junior year I think or sophomore year and um, the thing was is I'd get knocked out only momentarily but I would come to and I'd be completely cognitive of everything right. and they would sometimes let me back in the game I mean they pretty much did it a lot you know right and then the trainers at the school the head athletic trainers started doing a you know like a case study on me because it was obvious there was some trauma there and then on top of that kind of finding a way to uh, cheat the impact test you know or mm-hmm. you could just kind of mess up the impact test. So then if you did have a concussion and you had to retest, right. it was not that the hard. The baseline's like not yeah. as high. But when you're cheating the impact test, remember they're also testing your response time. So don't just click, 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 click. Oh, yeah. Or else you will have a, <laughs> a doozy trying to get back yeah, in. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to do
0: it as fast the next
1: yeah. time. Huh?
0: Yeah, man. Um And then I get, I'm curious about this too because this was what – this is why I stopped playing rugby so I just got my head knocked too many times and it's because – I learned how to play football first. So, like, I remember when I was a kid from second grade, they always taught you throw your head across, right? You cut them off. And then when I started playing rugby, I was tackling the same way, and I was just getting my bell rung. Do you think that played any role Yeah, it definitely played a
1: thing. But one thing you don't understand is, yeah, concussions are bad. But you have to think about also sub-concussive blows to the head. Yeah. And rugby is one thing, but football something totally different. Right. Like I grew up in a time in football where you could still pretty much spear people. And that's yeah. how you were taught. Because you use your head as a weapon, you're going you're to get some snot knockers out there. You're going <laughs> to knock some guys on their booty. Right. So I can just, like, remember that. And, like, even growing up, you know, and I grew up hardcore Wheat Ridge Wolverines, you know, guys with Tom Gee as my coach. We had a kid named Guppy. Dude, he used to just hit kids so hard he would <laughs> knock himself out when he was, like, right. in seventh grade. And he got love for it, and it was like he was a good hitter. Right. So that's how we were taught. And then I can still hear, we used to do this savage drill called the door drill where the coach holds up a door. One guy's on one side about four yards deep, the other guy's on one side. Like an
0: actual door? like No,
1: like a big pad. Uh,
0: oh, okay. Like a like, a <laughs> I was like
1: yeah. Pad. So that's like a door. Yeah, like a shield. And so yeah. uh, the back just comes, and he picks a hole left or right, and you just got to meet him, and I can just – to this day, hear hear old Cody D tie's face. Put your face on him. <laughs> you know, because yeah. he wants you to get in front and do that. And I'm saying when you're coming up, if you cared about football, rugby, whatever, like I did, mm-hmm. then you weren't thinking about that. You were just trying to do the, yeah. you know, you were just trying to do what was what you thought was the way to play. Yeah.
0: I can remember even my dad telling me stuff like that. Like yeah. You know, fastest slowest man wins, and and his, whatever it takes to knock him down. Yeah. So that's like, because even like I was coming up in high school. That's like when it started to get yeah. serious, and even then, it was hard for people to understand that what it was actually doing. But so I was like playing in the in the transition, and it sounds like I was wondering that as I was driving over, like how much that era that you played and probably played into that.
1: Yeah, I have a funny picture, and it's me getting a sack against Weber State, against this guy named Cameron Higgins, who was a great player. But it's me laid out, imagine a missile. Yeah. So I'm like parallel yeah. and just my head. Like, Superman. A, yeah, yeah, like my head's just going <laughs> into it. And I'm like, I don't think you could do that yeah, these that, days.
0: Yeah, no way. <laughs> yeah, man. Jeez. Um, so if you, if you had to pick – again, I'm going to ask you this in relation to rugby. If, is there some, a couple moments that come to the top of your mind from your rugby career, whether it be like a big match or even just like some road trip that sticks out to you with, with some be, some people? or
1: Yeah, there's you, many. Yeah. So, um,
0: I'm all ears. I like listening to these.
1: First is when we won that national championship against Texas mm-hmm. with uh, Patterson, that that all-star championship. And Patterson kicked me a high kick. I caught it. Like, it was such a beautiful kick, one bounce. And it was me and Justin Boyd who played um, for USA 7s at the time. Yeah. He was like three feet, four feet from the tri-zone. And boom, I just trucked him, got the try. So <laughs> That was tough. Winning the PRP championship will always stand out. And especially because the origins of that story was like, The year before, I was like this guy who came off the bench at, you know, like a utility player at loose flanker and forward. And I would come off and I like something good would always happen. Like I would be an impact player. And so they put me in at the last 20 minutes against Golden Gate that year. And like Coach Robbie said, hey, I'm putting you in to win the game. And we lost that game. And then I went to Alaska for my first time to fish. I came back. I went to one practice for the sevens team. They're like, boy, you're coming to the Omaha with us. (laughs) Yeah. So, Omaha, we have to win this one game and we are into the next level. And I get the ball on the, uh, like, it's an overlap. I get it. They pass it out. I get it. Boom, get tackled, double move. I should have done something. Eff- and we lost the game. Like, mm. that was the turning point because of me. Yeah. And then I came and I went to Hawaii and I went back and I just came and I said, hey, shouted out the boys on Twitter. And I'm like, Skarmani Smooth, follow me. <laughs> but I said, uh, I'm coming to the game. They said, Bring your cleats. Yeah. I think me and the friends were already on it beforehand. Yeah, you know, right. we were already hooping and stuff and just getting into no good. So I come down there, I broke my hand. So I'm like, all these things, those three things, like I don't want to end like that. And then I came back that next year, started. And, like, even through starting, I had so much to learn from Robbie. And I can remember um, on the throw-ins, on the line-outs, excuse me, I'm sorry, line-outs, not a throw-in. <laughs> I was I was like the loose guy. You know, I was the guy who hawked the number one. Right. But if it was an overthrow, I had to go get it. Yep. And I was really struggling with that. Like, I just would like – I wasn't tracking it right. I wasn't playing it right. And then we just kept working on it throughout the season. And then in the finals game, I did that. And I, I got the ball and, like, boom, got some <laughs> yards. And it, like, recycled. And we got a try. And I was just like – Yeah, it, 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 it paid off.
0: Sweet. Nice, man. And then I wanted to ask you, too, about – You've lived in a lot of places, but, like, how much has rugby allowed you to travel? And I know I want to ask you about your time in New Zealand, but just how many places, like, has rugby actually
1: taken you? I mean, pretty much that's one thing that's beautiful about it. It'll take you anywhere, and it'll put you in contact with good people. I mean, obviously New Zealand, but just even here in Colorado, you know, mountain leagues going down there and then putting you up and playing rugby in beautiful towns, you know, Vail, whatever, and stuff like that. And then when I was playing for the Raptors and – like the higher, the higher, right before they turned pro, they were paying for us to travel. You know, mm-hmm. they were they were doing that, and so we were going to California. And when you go on a rugby trip, it's not as regimented as football. Yeah. So it's like the game's over, boy. Like, see you tomorrow. Hope you make the plane. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Seriously, that's so, that's one thing I think people don't really understand is like, it is fun, and there's like a respect for the other team because without them, like you wouldn't be able to do this, and so. Th- That's why there is, like, the celebrations after the match and stuff. Um, So what was New Zealand like? How long were you there? What did you do down there?
1: So I went down there, I think that was 2013, I'm not sure. Um, I remember because uh, we had a scrimmage against Air Force at here, and I was playing, and I rolled my ankle really bad, and that injury stayed with me for a while. But I went down there in April. My old school uh, was like in rural Colorado where I taught at. I was also the athletic director, but they just let me go, and they're like, all right, come back, you know. And I went down there because my stepsister's nanny <laughs> was from New Zealand, and we used to just live right over there in Glendale. Yeah. And when her and her husband came, I came and took them to the facilities, her husband, because he was a big rugby fan. And uh, he was just shocked, and he was like, wow, I can't believe you guys have these kind of facilities. Yeah. And so he's like, if you ever want to come out, come out. So then I went down there to Queenstown, which is, like, beautiful.
0: Uh
1: And I started playing. I, like, picked between two clubs. I picked the Wakatipu Wanderers. And um, I also started coaching the high school team. And I was doing odd jobs on the time. Like, I did some crazy jobs out (laughs) there. I did – Traffic control on a movie set, Top G- of the oh, Lake, man. BBC classic. <laughs> What's it called? <laughs> Top of the Lake. Top of the Lake. I'll I guess it's a up. drama, and I I don't like <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then I was doing like being in uh, different parts. I did this huge air show in Wanaka, and I would tear down all the bleachers of the air show. It was terrible, <laughs> moving stuff. And then so I started playing for Wakatipu. the premier team. Like they knew I was they knew I was hard, but they they had top level backs like they were whatever the next up is you know like the otago the next level the next level yeah so they're like yo you can play uh you can we need you we want you to play flanker and i was like nah i don't (laughs) think so i just want to play that's when i was still pre-madonna so (laughs) i started playing there on the second time the wakatipu wanders and um just started torching dudes (laughs) but it was so crazy because it was like I'm very like empathetic em- empathic so like I can tell what other people are feeling and I pick right. up on that and like I'm not I wouldn't say maybe I'm being humble but maybe I am like I'm not I don't think of myself as like a nasty player so much so much like I don't get talking and stuff like that uh-huh. but when I would take on that persona you know like this like bullheaded USA right. you know crazy dude and my team would just like Power up, get mine. They ate it up. Yeah, so I like I started acting like that, and I was just I scored like ten tries in nine games. But then the last game against Roxborough, I'm not positive, but I'm almost positive. You know, I feel like this is it. Like I had already had like a lot of like beef in the game with them. and They're like our main rivals, and so I get tackled, quick recycle, one man ruck, and I'm just laying there, and someone just came and stomped on my ankle and broke oh. the ankle jeez so i mean there's a lesson in that don't talk boy. <laughs> i guess there's less than everything
0: yeah because i bet i mean i can imagine they're probably not used to that right like an american coming down and-
1: the level of play of rugby way better even in even though that wasn't top level new zealand rugby, right. but the level of athlete way lower yeah, if that makes sense, that's
0: interesting. That's interesting that you say that. There's, uh, I have some thoughts about that as well that I'll talk to you about off the mic. But, um, cool. So I, I wanted to ask you this. Um, this will be one of the last ones. If you got anything else, please feel free to include it. But if. What are you doing now that you're not playing rugby anymore? And, and, I mean, based off our conversation right now, you can tell you you kind of go as the wind blows. So, we'll, yeah. I like, what were you just doing these last three months that you were telling me on the phone on Friday?
1: So, I am a teacher in DPS. I'm also a commercial salmon fisherman deckhand in Bristol Bay. But um, school got canceled a long time ago, and yeah. uh, I just hit the road. I, like, felt like I was – I've always felt like I was called to go to Zion National Park. So, I went there – then I went to Vegas on St. Paddy's Day. Then I, like, this one big road trip. Then I went to the Grand Canyon because I'd never been there, and everything was just closing behind me in this wake of coronavirus. <laughs> That's crazy. And so my brother lives in Montana. My mom's family, my mom's side of the family, they're from Montana. They're native, so we all to go up there every summer. But my brother lives up there, works with bears now. He's like the grizzly guy. He hits me up, and he's like, yeah, boy, come up. I want your help rebuilding my roof. So I rolled up there, and, um... I was up in Valir, which is like middle of nowhere, northern Montana, close to the border, close to the res, and um, I was there for about a month. My brother started getting stressed because the bears are waking up, and then he's got one living in his spare room. Yeah. So I took off, and I went to Flathead Lake, Kalispell, Summers area, and I'd just been working on a ranch, uh, doing a lot of saw work as well with the chainsaw because, I mean, I was a wildland forest firefighter in Alaska, so I I like that kind of work. Yeah. That's
0: and then you're off back to Alaska, right? Tomorrow we're recording this on Wednesday. So tomorrow I think this will come out next week, actually. So you'll be in Alaska by a week yeah, by I'll then.
1: Yeah, in a boat, like <laughs> I I need to be there right now because I don't like all this diversion in America right now. I just yeah. want everyone yeah. to be like, all right. Well, number one, have dialogue with people so you yes. know that they know that you feel the same and you stand together because when we stand together, we're strong. You know, for sure.
0: Yeah. So what, what's that like up in Alaska? Like, how does that work? You live on the boat or?
1: Yeah, usually you'd get out there. So for me, um, when you ask me what I've been doing, I've been doing a lot of travel. So I was just in Nepal. Um, I did the Annapurna circuit with my brother, without a guide, without Sherpas. And then I've been going to uh, Peru the last couple years, doing some volunteer work and some shamanic healing. (laughs) But I usually go to Peru right at the end of school and then leave. But the borders are closed, obviously, to Alaska. So once you get into Alaska... Usually you get up there, do a week or so of boat work on the boat, on the net. I don't do that. I just do the money job because i got a good reputation now. Yeah. So I might take a cut in percentage to go up there. So you go straight out on the boat. There's different districts in the bay where you have to drop your card, like I'm fishing here or I'm fishing there. If yeah. you transfer, then it's like a 48-hour period. The thing that I love about Alaska is its sustainable natural industry. Yeah. It's one of the last natural fisheries and it's all managed by science. Mm-hmm. So if they don't get their escapement, meaning the fish up river by fishing game, they don't let you fish. But yeah. if the escapement's where it should be, you know, you fish one to two tides a day, four period like 4 to 6 hour periods or sometimes they just open it all up. So you're getting two, three to five-hour naps, depending on how it how it doesn't work. But you're out there fishing. You put the net in the water. You bring it on. Bring it on sometime by hydro, sometime by hand, which is, you know, rugged. Yeah. But my main job is to pick the fish out of the net as quickly as possible and do all the net stuff and kind of be like, hear what the captain says from the deck and do us. The boats are really small. They're only 32 feet and live there. I used to live on a boat where it was from 1968 <laughs> no bathroom oh man no heat the pump used to go out so we routinely wake up in a foot of water like not like it's gonna not like it's gonna flood but it's just not right, a yeah. not a nice living area it, you got an interesting life man
0: uh Scarly, that's all the questions i had for you is there anything else you what, you wanted to chat about before we cut this off
1: no i just wanted to say uh thanks to glendale they've been really kind to me and they just gave me gave me something that I loved. And I would like, everyone always told me, and especially coaches, is that the game of rugby isn't bigger than you. Hmm. So it's like a vehicle for you to do stuff that's, that should be what it was to you, which is something positive.
0: For sure. Um, how, do, how do people find you, Scarly? Uh,
1: yeah, you can follow me on uh, Twitter. At Scarmani, like Armani, but with an S. Smooth (laughs) Scarmani S.
0: Yeah, and then I'll I'll be sure to tag you. in I got five
1: followers now. We'll get we'll try to shout out all my followers, Dustin Gordon.
0: (laughs) All right, Scarly, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with former Raptor, um, UNC Bear Christian Sarmento. Uh, I really did, he t- we covered a, a lot of topics, um, and I'm, I'm just glad he came in, I'm glad our schedules lined up and we were able to do that. Uh, yeah, so I guess the last little segment we'll get into before we um, call it quits on this show for, for this week was our required reading segment, so this is obviously a little piece of, one piece of content that I found that I would like you guys to go check out, dig deeper into, I thought it was interesting, so I want you to as well, so... Last week it was uh, Doug Coyle's stuff that he was doing leading up to the draft. This week, um, kinda, it's a little darker, unfortunately, but it's also a happy story. Um, but So if you've been paying attention, the USA Rugby released a statement, I think on Monday, regarding the Robert Paler situation. And that's not the required reading this week. But what is required reading this week is so I want people to learn about how uh, amazing of a person Robert Payler is, and how amazing his story is. Um, so for those that don't know who Robert Payler was is, excuse me, Robert Payler was a rugby player at Cal, um, and he was paralyzed in the twenty in the twenty seventeen national championship game against Arkansas State. He was told he was never going to be able to walk again, but as you'll come to find out, he's battled back and is doing more mm-hmm. than the doctors said that he ever would. There's something like a three or four percent of people in that have his type of injury um, are ever able even to use a wheelchair, and he's, he's able to walk around with a walker already, so it's awesome stuff. I encourage you to check out his social media. It's really cool to see, um, but USA Rugby, the, the, you can dig into this, but USA Rugby had uh, people conduct a review ass- after the incident happened, essentially determined that the play was reckless, but the person who injured Robert Paler didn't do it on purpose. Um, he was in, he was injured in a mall that was intentionally collapsed and somebody was up high around his neck so both of those are illegal if you're familiar with rugby but USA rugby came out on Monday and said that their post injury process had failed and they apologized to paler for that um, but I, the what is required reading is I would get, encourage everybody to go read the article on Robert paler in the mercury news that came out on Tuesday um, it's entitled, Doctor Said He Wouldn't Walk Again, But Cal Rugby Player Keeps Defying the Odds. And it just kind of goes through his injury and um, what life's been like after this, and it touches on the apology, which is pretty cool. Um, Paler's really turned this negative into a positive. Uh, and, and just, I know, seeing his stuff circulated around the Internet super inspiring. So I would encourage you to go check it out. Um, he, he's really making lemonade out of lemons, and it's a super encouraging story, um, and that's that. So that's this week's required reading. Um, as for what's kind of, I guess we'll call this last thing, the loop is what I decided. Working title, it could change. Um, what's kind of going on with us, we're just still hammering away at podcast. I've got some articles in the works, so we'll start seeing those in the next few weeks. But um, obviously no DNVR watches again this week. Um, and we've still got that exciting news to drop. So make sure you stay tuned for these next few weeks. It's going to be exciting stuff coming out. I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. So uh, thank you guys for listening. That's the show. Remember, take care of yourselves. Be nice, stay healthy, and I'll catch you guys back here next week.